Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. The hymn that we sang at the change of the order of service used an expression that I want us to take our cue from this morning. It said, nothing of earth is sure, vain hopes soon die, but things of the Lord endure, he satisfies. That's so true, isn't it? Nothing on this earth is sure. There are so many question marks, so many uncertainties. But this morning, I want to point you to some things that are sure, some Christian certainties. And we return today to the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, where we were last Lord's Day morning. And I want us to consider four you-know statements in Jesus' final sermon. Verse 4 is the first one, as Jesus says, Whither I go, you know. Secondly, he says, And the way you know. Notice how he repeats this expression, you know. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. And then in verse 7, he speaks of the Father, his Father in heaven, and he says, from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. And then finally in verse 17, he speaks of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Last Sunday, we emphasized the fact that Jesus is acting as the great comforter to his disciples in the wake of his announcement that he is leaving and going back to heaven. Seven times in the previous context, Jesus says, I go away, I go away, I'm going away. In fact, he said in verse 36 to Simon Peter, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And I love that statement. You know, you might compare that previously in this context where Jesus says to the Jews, Whither I go, thou canst not come. <laughs> but now he says to Peter, Whither I go, you cannot follow me now. He uses that word now. But you shall follow me hereafter. You see, the unbelieving Jews to whom Jesus spoke could not go where he was going, but his disciple, Jesus says, you will go to the same place I am going someday, but not right now. And you know, it's that tension between the now and the hereafter. That's where we live, isn't it? <laughs> We're not where we expect to be. We hope to be. We're not yet in a world of perfect peace and love. But while we're here, Jesus reminds us that in the midst of all of the uncertainties, there are some things you can be certain about, some things you know. My beloved, I want to emphasize that this morning. There's so many question marks in my mind as to what is happening in our world. I have to be honest with you that I've uh, become quite skeptical as to whether I'm hearing the truth on a regular basis from popular media outlets. I just wonder how much they try to manipulate and herd the public through the narrative that they craft. 
You say, Brother Goins, that's pretty suspicious. No, it's discerning. Jesus said, prove all things and then hold fast to that which is good. Solomon said, the simple believe every word, but the wise man, the prudent man looks well to his going. We understand, don't we, that there's an enemy in this world who's the devil, the prince of the power of the air. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour people. And he does so both overtly and covertly. That is, sometimes he shows up with both guns ablazing. Sometimes he comes in a very crafty and cunning and deceptive way like a sneaky snake, a serpent. Sometimes he's a roaring lion, sometimes he's a serpent. And I think it behooves us to be wise and to understand that depraved hearts are prone to craft the story in terms that have an ulterior motive. You know, I mean, they have other agendas. And the powers that be, the principalities and powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world, and the spiritual wickedness in high places, we don't want to be naive and simplistic and think that just because somebody has their hair combed nicely and is articulate, that they are automatically telling the truth. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light and his minister into ministers of righteousness. They appear on the outside to be genuine, but my beloved, as we prove all things, as we test it by the word of God, as we try the spirits to see whether they are of God, we arrive at certain conclusions. And I have to admit to you, whether you agree with me or not this morning, or think that I'm being just a little bit too suspicious or paranoid, I have to admit to you today, I have a lot of questions about what I hear from newspapers and the newscasts and the university classrooms and the hotel conference seminar rooms from, you know, the pundits of the day. I just, I think it bears being just a bit cautious and considerate before you just swallow it hook, line, and sinker. And in a world like that, you say, Brother Mike, I've gotten to where I don't believe anything. I'm telling you, there are some things that are true that you know. Though you may have many question marks in your mind, and I certainly do, I don't understand again what's happening culturally. Sometimes I don't understand my own heart. I'm an enigma to myself. You know, the Greek ideal was know thyself. Well, Jeremiah says that it's impossible to completely know yourself. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful. Above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? But I, the Lord, search the heart. He understands. Though I don't always understand the workings of my own heart and soul, because I have two natures warring within me, yet God knows me. And he understands, right? And he knows the way that I take. So um, sometimes I have question marks about what's going on in my own mind and heart. Sometimes I have question marks about many subjects in this world. But I want to say this morning, there are several things you know. And isn't it pastoral and encouraging? Isn't Jesus filling the role as the great psychiatrist or psychologist of his people in John 14 as he reminds them, first of all, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, and then he tells them about the Father's house, about the adequacy and sufficiency of his revelation, if it were not so I would have told you, about his work on the cross to prepare your place in heaven, and 
his second coming in which he will receive us to himself that we may be where he is forever. Can't you see the psychology of Jesus' approach as he seeks to encourage and buttress their faith in the midst of the bad news that Christ was leaving? And I see the same kind of heavenly psychology in these four you know statements. These four Christian certainties. So here's what I'm saying this morning. In the midst of a world of question marks, we have four exclamation points. These things are true, and you know that they're true. Yes, you do. You know. Now, we might be like Thomas, who said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? We're, we're sort of doubters at times, aren't we? We're like Thomas. Lord, no, we don't know. But Jesus insists you do know four things. And my beloved, sometimes when life is confusing, it, it helps to go back to basics and to remind yourself of the things you do know. John Newton, when he was an old man, said, I'm an old man and I have forgotten many things, but two things I do know. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, Jesus Christ is a great Savior. I want to tell you, if that's all you know, you're in good shape. <laughs> but you know more than you think you know. Okay, and I want to do what Jesus did with his disciples this morning and remind you of four Christian certainties. First of all, you know where Jesus is today. Whither I go, you know. You say, no, I don't, Brother Mike. I don't know where he is. Yes, you do. You know where Jesus is today. We all do. Now, the world at large doesn't know where he is. Somebody says, well, I think he's in a tomb somewhere outside the city of Jerusalem. No, he's not there. He is not here. The angel said, he is risen. And what happened after the resurrection of Jesus? Well, Acts 1.11 says that he ascended into heaven in the presence of the disciples and the clouds received him out of their sight. And two angels said to them, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven for this same Jesus, which is taken from you, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. They saw him ascend. And as we've studied in the book of Hebrews, one of the things that has been reinforced over and again is the fact that Jesus Christ has sat down at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. Hebrews 8.1, for instance, says of the things that we've spoken, this is the sum. He summarizes the essence of the message that he had been teaching them. And he says, we have such a high priest who is set, S-E-T, on the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. Jesus Christ, my beloved, is victorious over sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave. How do you know that? Because we know today that he is at the Father's right hand in glory. Do you know where Jesus is? And you say, Brother, I, sometimes I don't know where I am. Heard a person recently, somebody says, we're glad that you're here. He said, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And he said, furthermore, I'm glad to know that I'm here. <laughs> As you get older, you understand that, right? Not only am I glad to be here, I'm glad to know that I'm here. We know that Jesus Christ today, my beloved, is in heaven. I know that he's in heaven. You know that he's in heaven because he's finished the work that he came to do upon this earth. And above all of the confusion, the conflict, 
above the fray, Jesus Christ is at the Father's right hand triumphant over it all, awaiting the day in which the last enemy will be trodden beneath his feet. We know that Jesus Christ is victorious. You say, I don't know where my grandchildren are right now. I have an idea of where they are, or my children. I have an idea of what's going on, but I don't know all the details. I'm telling you, we do know the details about Jesus. Our Savior, my beloved, is victorious over every foe, and He is at the Father's right hand today. And the fact is, because He's there, we're going to be there too one day. John 14, verse 19, later in this chapter, He says, Because I live, you shall live also. We know where Jesus Christ is today. Whither I go, you know. The second thing we know is, and the way you know. Jesus says, you know the way of salvation. Now, we're not boasting or bragging this morning as if we know it because we're so smart or because we are a cut above the rest. We're more special than other people. If you know anything today about the Lord and about what He's done for you, it's because the Lord's revealed it, right? And revelation is a humbling doctrine. It's the doctrine that reminds us we could have never discovered this on our own. If you know it, it's because God has been pleased to open the door and to manifest Himself to you. But we know today. You say, you sound like you're bragging, Brother Mike. No, I'm not bragging. The world at large doesn't know where Jesus is today, but we do. He's not in a grave. He's not still on a cross. He's not the babe in the manger anymore. He is the king of glory. He's the triumphant warrior king who's conquered every foe and he has been enthroned as the sovereign of the skies. We know that. And we also know the way of salvation. Now, there are ideas aplenty in the religious world today about how sinners are saved. And most people have a program, have a plan, you know, the ABC plan, uh, that uh, first you've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that's the A, and secondly you have to believe that Jesus is your Savior, and then, that's the B, and then you have to confess that Jesus is your Savior. So they say the ABC plan, if you want to go to heaven someday, you've got to admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus saved sinners, and then number three, you've got to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And most people have some rendition of that formula. You know, some are clear-cut ABC theology, and others are, you know, some you've got to add repentance to it, or you've got to add baptism to it, or, but most people have a, an idea about how sinners are saved. The way to heaven, they say, is uh, that Jesus is part of the way, You've got to at least accept him. You know, he, he opened the door, but you've got to make sure that you go through it. I'm telling you, dear friends, today that you know the truth about the way of salvation. And I'm not being boastful in saying that or not trying to thumb our lapels and say we're just so special again. But you know it because God's revealed it to you. We know that we could have never done anything to contribute to our eternal home, right? If you're going to heaven, if you have a hope that you're going to heaven and that you will one day be in the presence of the Lord and the redeemed throng from all ages, you know that that's only because Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. 
Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? John 14, 5, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Now notice he didn't say, I'll show you the way, or I will um, give you some hints of how you can find the way yourself. He didn't say, I'm go just going to open the door to the way and give you access to save yourself by believing. He said, I am the way. And my friends, I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and men. And he and he alone is our righteousness. He and he alone is our holiness. He and he alone is our redemption. You say, Brother Goins, it sounds like you're saying that there's no room for man to take any credit for his salvation. That's exactly what I'm saying. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For of God you are in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians 1.30. According as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Jesus is the way. And when we say that, we're not saying truth about Jesus is the way. Somebody says, okay, Jesus is the way. That means you have to believe and embrace the truth about Jesus. You have to, he doesn't say Christianity is the way. Christ is the way. You see, there's a difference in Christ and the truth about Christ. The person and work of Christ is the objective fact. The truth about Christ, the revelation of what he's done, the gospel, my beloved, is simply the good news of what he's done, but it's what he did. It's Jesus himself who is the way, and he that hath the Son then, 1 John 5, 11, he that hath the Son hath life. You say, well, so-and-so doesn't have the Son because they believe things that are not true. They may have the Son vitally in their heart, even though they don't have him cognitively in their minds. You see, they may not have the truth about Christ, but you see, if you are in vital union with Christ, if you have a relationship with him because of the grace of God, I'm telling you, you have the Son. He's yours. And you have eternal life. Does that make any sense? What I'm distinguishing right now is between the fact of salvation and the uh, experience of it. Between the fact of it and your understanding of it. You may not understand it, my friends, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true, that it's real, that, it, that Jesus actually saved his people from their sins. He is the way. And he's also the truth. So if you want to know about the way, you have to come to understand it through him. And he's the life. He's your eternal life. He's the abundant life. That is every form of real living comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to God is Jesus Christ. So here are two things you know this morning. You know where Jesus is today. And you know the way of salvation, that Jesus is the Savior. On the heels of this statement, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Now Jesus had just told him, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also, because Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. And from henceforth, Jesus said, you know him. Thirdly, not only do we know where Jesus is today, and not only do we know the way of salvation, but we know the character of God. You know the Father. From henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Now, of course, Philip said, Lord, 
I don't think we have. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. It sufficeth us. And Jesus said, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me? Notice the perfect union of the Father and the Son, that is, the oneness in the Godhead. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father dwelleth in me, and he doeth the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now here's the point. Here are three things you know today. You know where Jesus is. You say, I don't know much, Brother Mike. Well, you can know this much. Jesus Christ is victorious, and he's at the right hand of God in heaven, awaiting that day when he comes back to get you. Secondly, you know that he and he alone is the way of salvation. He's the way. Thirdly, you know who God is. Now, a lot of people don't know this. Even many professed Christian people, their idea of the character of God, the nature of God, is that he's sort of wishy-washy, that he's in development. There's a theory called open theism that was popular a few years ago in Christian circles, in academic circles, and it's the idea that God is in the process, he's in training. You know, that he's changing over time. That he hasn't always done things exactly just right, but he's learning. That sounds more like man than it does God, doesn't it? That's me, and that's you. We're the ones in process. God is not developing. We know the character of God, that he's a sovereign God. He's an eternal God. He's an immutable God. He's an, a holy God. He's just and true and righteous we know that he's faithful, he never breaks his promises. We know that God is a God of grace, a God of mercy, who blesses the unworthy. We know that he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. We know that God is almighty over all. We know the true character of God. Somebody says, I think God is just really frustrated that man won't cooperate with him. That's not the God of the Bible. And you know that the God of the Bible is in one mind, and who can turn him, and what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. Isaiah 46 verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Is God ever frustrated? Are his purposes ever thwarted? No, he does what he pleases. He's sovereign. And you say, well, is he able to do what he wants to do? Absolutely, my friends. He has all power in heaven and in earth. If God wanted to save everybody, he would have done it. He could have done it. There's no place for somebody to say that man is a blocking or is an obstacle in God's eternal purposes. I'm telling you what his soul desireth even that he, he works his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. You know that, don't you? And how do we know the Father? Through Christ our Lord. He says, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. You know what God is like? He's supremely Jesus-like. So when Jesus Christ is angry at people who've turned his father's house into a den of thieves, into a house of merchandise, and he throws the money changers' tables over, that's what God is like. He's a God who's jealous for his own glory. You say, oh, Brother Mike, I don't like that jealousy. That's a, that's a sin. It is in us, but it's not in God. 
If anybody has the right to protect his own honor, it's God. Isaiah 43, 11, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory you shall not give to another. He doesn't take kindly to, idol to idolatry, does he? We know that about him. And it's not that he's scared that he'll be beaten by a competitor or a rival. It's that it's so offensive to the fact that he's the only true and living God for man to fabricate an idol from his own imagination when God has clearly revealed himself in his word. We know that God is great in his loving kindness. He forgives the sins of people to a thousand generations. We know that God will by no means clear the guilty. That is, he will not just slap you on the wrist and say, you shouldn't have done that, try not to do it again. Every disobedience must receive a just recompense reward, for God is a God of perfect justice. But we also know he's a God of wonderful grace, for he sent his son to bear the judgment that was ours as the substitute for his elect on Calvary's rugged cross. My beloved, we know the character of God, don't we? So you might be here this morning and say, Brother Goins, there's so much I don't understand about what's happening. I'm trying to remind you of several things you can know for sure. You know where Jesus is? Isn't that good to know that? You know the way of salvation solely by his marvelous grace. And you know this morning the character of God. Now, we don't know everything about the character of God. Our knowledge is partial, right? Because God is incomprehensible. Now, that's a big 50-cent word. But I won't charge you any extra for it this morning. It's a big 50 cent word, incomprehensible, but which means he is beyond our ability to completely grasp. Our little finite minds can never completely wrap themselves around the concept of infinity, of his immensity, of his eternality. God is greater than we can comprehend. He's incomprehensible. But that word does not mean that we can't know anything about God. It simply means we can't know everything about God. When preachers say God is incomprehensible, they don't mean that it's impossible to know anything about him. They mean it's impossible to know everything about God. Okay? But you do know the true character of God. And finally this morning, Jesus says, I will pray the Father, verse 16, and he shall give you another comforter. Now Jesus is acting as comforter. That's an interesting word. The Greek word is paraclete, which is a very full concept. The word paraclete means counselor. It means friend, ally, encourager, strengthener, and comforter. Literally, the word paraclete means one who stands beside you. And isn't it wonderful to think of Jesus as the one who stands beside us? Do you need a friend? To walk with you through the troublesome way of life, I'm telling you, you have a comforter, a paraclete, one who stands beside you to lead you on your journey. One of the images in my mind from early childhood is the image of a, I think it was the 1976 Olympics. Is that the one in Los Angeles? I, I'm not, I think so. But uh, the 76 Olympic Games, I believe it was. Anyway, the Olympic Games, when there was a runner from Spain, I think it was, and they were running the 5,000 meters. And this young man apparently had become dehydrated in the course of his race. And he was lagging far behind the rest of the runners. And he was wobbling all over the track. He was disoriented. 
he was stumbling and staggering and almost falling and it was I mean the camera was on him and it was you know you were just thinking oh bless his heart and suddenly the camera picks up from its uh, you know peripheral lens it picks up someone jumping over the railing of the grandstands and some of the security people you know reacted after the fact but this person was already on the track and ran up to the runner and took his arm and put it around his neck and began to walk with him the last 150 meters or so of the race. And the security people were trying to take him away and he wouldn't have any of it. He, he said, no, you're not bothered. And he helped him the last few meters of that race to cross the finish line, standing up. You say, well, he didn't win. Oh, he did. He didn't win a medal, but he won the hearts of many people. He won the respectability of finishing the race you say, well, he couldn't have done it unless he had help. You know who his helper was that stood at his side? His own dad, his own father. He broke every security rule and helped him. You say, he wouldn't have placed, that would have disqualified him. He didn't care about that at that moment. You see, my beloved, this is what matters in life. You have somebody to walk with you. Walk beside me, O oh my Savior, till life's evening sun is set, the hymn writer says. I'm glad to tell you today you have a friend who walks with you a long life journey. Whenever you need a friend who is all wise, someone on whom you can depend, Jesus Christ satisfies, even though nothing on earth is sure, and vain hopes soon die. That's true, isn't it? You have your hopes and dreams and they, they soon die. You want your team to win the NCAA basketball tournament, and they get knocked out in the first round. Vain hope soon dies, right? It happens. That's life. But I'm telling you, things of the Lord endure. He satisfies. Jesus Christ walks with you. My friends, we know the reality of the Holy Spirit's ministry. He said, I'll give you another comforter. Now, Jesus was the counselor, the comforter. But now he's leaving. Who's going to comfort us now? He said, I'll give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. He'll never leave you. And I'm telling you, dear friends, that you and I have a friend to walk with us until this world is no more. And it's the Holy Spirit in His new covenant ministry. He has come to mediate Christ's presence to the church, and He will never abandon us. We have heavenly help until time is no more. He will abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Now, they don't know anything about Him, but ye know Him. You know the ministry of the Holy Spirit, don't you? You do. For He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. My friends, here's something you know today. You know that the Holy Spirit is real. Alright? And you know the reality of His ministry to your heart. How do you know that? Well, have you ever sat there on these pews? And somebody selects a hymn and you've been sitting there yawning. Thinking about what's going on in your life. Business deals or some obligation you have on your agenda for tomorrow and suddenly somebody selects a hymn and one line in that hymn just captures your attention and uh, you've been sort of you know having trouble focusing up to that moment and suddenly a single thought just enraptures your heart and you are riveted now to this thought then the preacher gets up and takes a text and something about that text just speaks to the depths in your heart 
By the time the service is over, you leave saying, I feel so much better. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. And you've been fed and you've been encouraged and you've been strengthened spiritually. How do you explain that? Is there a scientific explanation for that? Is there a logical explanation? No, my friends, it's the Holy Spirit. It's a heavenly supernatural ministry that is a reality in the lives of believers, in the lives of God's children. The church knows this. Now, the world cannot receive him, neither knoweth him. The world doesn't understand it, but we know it, don't we? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. It's something that, as the old preacher said, is better felt than tempt. It's hard to explain, but yet you know it in your own experience. You know that it's real, don't you? Don't you feel better when you leave from Bethel Church at 12 o'clock on Sundays? You leave and you say, I just, I'm so glad I went today. And by the way, you can't get that watching Fox News or CNN, or you can't get that watching Swamp Operas or ESPN or anything like that. It, it's not, the world doesn't understand it. But God honors the preaching of His Word by the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven to accompany that Word, to speak to your hearts, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to animate your hope. You know Him. You know the ministry of the Spirit, although the world doesn't understand it. Four Christian certainties. You know where Jesus is today? Whether I go, you know. You know the way of salvation and the way you know. You know the character of God the Father. You know Him. And you know the reality of the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life. In a world of uncertainties with so many question marks, here are four exclamation points that I want you to remember. Because my friends, it will help you to have an untroubled heart. Let not your heart be troubled. In a world of so many questions and uncertainties, it will give you peace and comfort to remember the things that you know for sure.
You are listening to Grace Alone Radio Network, streaming Bible teaching from a primitive Baptist perspective, around the clock and around the world.